this morning is taken from James chapter 4, reading from verses 7 to 10 and then 13 to 17. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Boasting about tomorrow. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, it is the Lord's will. We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Eleanor, for that. We are continuing on in our series on um, past, present, future as we head towards our 20th anniversary and thinking about the things that God has done here in this place over the last 20 odd years um, and we know our history stretches far further than that. Let me pray and then we'll jump into this passage a bit more. Let's pray. Ah, Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it opens our hearts and our minds to the truth of the world around us. Um, it reflects a mirror onto um, our own hearts that we might see them as you do, Lord. We might see um, them with all their imperfect imperfections, Lord, but yet know that you love us still. Lord, I just pray as we come before your word today that you might speak to our hearts wherever we are at. Lord, whether um, we are close to you or far from you, Lord, whether we are feeling your presence keenly or whether it feels like it has been a while since we've felt your presence, Lord, I pray that you might speak to where we're at we might hear your words in it. Lord, I pray you might help me to speak truthfully and clearly of your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're thinking about the present. And we've got <clears throat> this little passage from James. And James, of course, is, is such a practical book. If you, if you read through it, it's, it's one of those books which he often suggests um, new or young Christians to read because it is literally just practical stuff all the way through about how it is you go about being a Christian, doing it and living it out. And it starts with this, the passage we read today, <clears throat> starts with this interesting perspective or even some kind of thinking around our perspective on time. Um, and I personally find that very interesting. Like I, I find it a very interesting conversation because, you know, different people in different stages of life or different places or whatever can experience time very differently can't they? Um, when you're young, the years seem to move so slowly. And a year is like the longest thing you can ever possibly imagine. 
course, it doesn't stay that way. I remember um, when I was a kid, when the Advent calendar came out, it was almost like agony. I was like, I'd look at it, I'm like, 22 days left. I'd look back, still 22, you know what I mean? Like, it just felt like it never moved. Now, we put the Advent calendar up, and I'm like, what, three days left? It just disappears, and it's like, we just put this up yesterday, and it's almost done. You know, when you're young, and, and you just feel with enthusiasm about Christmas Day, it just drags, but then as you get older, and there's lots of things to do, Man, does it ever fly. Um, you know, for people who are at the other end of the spectrum, for them, sometimes time just feels like it flies away. Um, I've, I've heard a number of people who have got adult children say, oh, man, it was just yesterday that I was holding you in my arms, you know, to their fully grown children who have children of their own. You know, it, was, it feels like just the other day when you were a newborn babe in my arms um, and those moments have flown past. You know, if you are in prison, then time is hard. If you're having fun, then time will fly. If you're unwell, time can slip past. But no matter what you're doing, time is always marching. There's always these different ways of which we understand and think about time or experience it, depending on what's happening in life. Um, But today, James gives us this really interesting perspective, perhaps, that we should have on time and how we live and experience time as one of God's people. Let me flip to the second part of the scripture that we read today, and then I'll flip back to the the first part to conclude. Um, In verse 13, James says, Now listen, you who say, tomorrow or today we will go to this city or that, spend a year, carry on business, make money. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James is painting this picture of people for whom think, assume, expect that time is on their side. As in, I'll do this now and I'll do that later. Like, I'll have the time then to do that and I'll do this here and I can plan out all of the things that I would like to do. Um, The things that I think are really important, you know, I can prioritise them, but I can make plans and time is on my side. I can do them later on down the track. Um, We can build our lives or do whatever it is that we would like to do here and today because, you know, there'll be time for those other things later. But James brings a different perspective. He says to uh, the Christians he's writing to that you need to actually have a bit of humility when you come before God and thinking about today, thinking about time. Um, Perhaps it's not as on your side as you think. James says, perhaps actually you don't have the sort of control over it that you might like. You know, we, we think we know what tomorrow will bring, you know, and we're, we're often right. But there's also a reality where we don't actually know at all what tomorrow will bring. That we can make all of the plans that we like and we can do our best to try to control it. But there's a reality where we actually have no control over what might happen tomorrow. Um, James says, your life is like a mist. It is here for a while and it's gone. It is blown around on the wind, um, wherever the prevailing winds will blow. You don't have as much control over it as you might think that you do. What is here today might be gone tomorrow. And that's very true. Every day we wake up and we have our plan, don't we? We know what we might be doing at school or at work or at uni or at whatever it is or watching kids or, or whatever it might be. But, of course, you know, one of a hundred different things could completely flip that upside down. Something could happen. 
A tragedy could befall someone in your family. There, there could be some sort of you know, global pandemic that completely changes all the plans you had. You, you might win the lotto. Hey, that'd be great. Um, but the control that you have over what happens tomorrow is far less than you realise. This is what James says. He says, you make plans to do this today and go and do that. And he says, but the reality is you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're planning your life out ahead of you. But even tomorrow is uncertain as to exactly what might be happening. James wants us to have a healthier perspective on today. He wants us to recognise that there is something important that needs to happen today that shouldn't always be left to tomorrow. That the Lord is actually sovereign over all things. He has his fingerprints on all parts of our lives, even the fine details. But he is the one who knows what will happen tomorrow, um, and we certainly do not. Like, I don't think um, the, uh, the idea that James is trying to communicate here is don't ever plan for anything because, you know, hey, you never know, so just make no plans ever. I don't think he's against all sorts of planning, but I think he is against the sort of planning which is um, self-important or reliant on self that excludes God entirely. You know, the sort of planning I'm saying, you know, like I've got my life mapped out. I know what I'm doing. I know, you know, wh- where I want to be living and what I want to be doing and how many kids I want to have and when I want to have them and whatever it is. I think there's something in that, 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 that self-important idea of planning that James says you need to have more humility with God when it comes to planning out your life. You should be much more humble, much more reliant. The realisation that tomorrow might bring something completely um, unknown to you should actually help you to draw closer to God who does have control over tomorrow. Yes, there's that, that, um, that, that idea in philosophy that uh, time is a, a flat circle that spins around, this idea that, that time repeats um, and that what you see today will come around again, um, loop over and over. There's that, the fable of Ouroboros um, where the, the idea of a snake that eats its own tail, that it's just this continuing circle that circles around and around. Um, well, the Bible depicts... Um, time in a very different way. The Bible depicts time as a straight line that stretches from eternity to eternity. You know, from in eternity there was God. Uh, God created all things and there will be a time again when God will recreate all things. And we're in that in-between bit, stretching between these two eternities. Tomorrow is not this logical inevitability like many of us think that it is. And we're here today by the grace of God that we might have another tomorrow to enjoy. And if that's the case, then what should we do? If that's the case, what should we do with the today that we have, knowing that tomorrow is uncertain and that God is in control of today and tomorrow? Well, here at the very end of the passage that we read in 16 and 17, we see that James highlights two things. He highlights that we shouldn't be boastful in self. We shouldn't be boastful in the schemes and the plans that we have. Don't rely on the schemes and the ideas and the thoughts and the plans that we have for ourselves as some sort of a source to boast. But what we should do in the day that we have is the things that we know are good. What should we do in the time that we have? We should do the good that we ought to do. Do today the good that you know you should Don't let tomorrow, 
Don't let tomorrow make you neglect today. What does this look like? Let's jump back to the start of the passage which we read. Um, Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. If we're being people um, that recognise the importance of today, recognise the importance of where we are and standing before God right here, right now, and don't leave all of those things off to tomorrow, what does James tell us to do? He tells us to submit ourselves to the Lord. He tells us to draw near. He tells us to humble our hearts. Uh, and that first verse, verse 7, he, he highlights the idea of um, when are times that are good to submit and when are times that are good to resist? Right? He says, in today, this is an important distinction that we need to make, knowing the times to submit and the times to resist. Um, it's like, you know, if you have uh, a dog that has um, a thorn in its paw, right? You go, I'm going to get this thorn out. What does the dog do? Struggles. He fights. You're holding him down. You're, you're, you're holding onto that sore paw, trying to get rid of the thorn. But as you're doing it, he's kicking, he's screaming, he's trying to bite you, he's doing all those sorts of things. He's resisting. But of course, if he submitted and you could pull the thorn out, he would be far better off. He'd be out of the pain and discomfort of having this thorn in his paw and uh, his life would be better for it. Well, sometimes it's like that with us and God, right? God is trying to pull the splinters out of our lives He's trying to pull the thorns out of our paws. But instead of submitting, we resist. We fight. We struggle. We kick. No, you know, I don't want to change my life in this way. I don't want to do things differently. I, I want to maintain control of the things that I think are important in life. And in the process, what we're doing, of course, is not helping ourselves at all. We're not submitting to a God that wants what is good for us. God tries to pull the things out of our lives that are unhelpful, the bad habits, the bad decisions, the things that we need to change, um, but we know the change won't come easily. We don't want to submit to these things. We struggle and resist. And James says the things you should be resisting are the things of the enemy, the things of the world, the temptations that you know aren't good for you. That's what you resist. That's what you fight against. But what you do when it comes to God is you submit Submit to the good things God has for you. Submit to the spiritual practices and disciplines that God has given for you, even though in the time they might feel whatever, you know, like, a, like, like hard work or, or they might feel um, unrewarding or whatever the case might be. Submitting to these spiritual disciplines in the end will only ever serve you for the best. Submitting to daily prayer, submitting to regular reading of your Bible, to being generous with your money, with your time, with your energy, with people around you, being forgiving for those who have done wrong, you will always be better for it in the long run when you submit to God on these things. As I was preparing this um, sermon this, this week and I was thinking about that idea of submitting and resisting, it reminded me a lot of the story of the prophet um, Hosea. Some of you may be familiar with it. Um, long story short, Hosea was uh, a, a prophet in the Old Testament whose wife left him for another man. And then after she's with that man, she moves on to another man, another man, another man. And eventually she finds herself in such a position that um, she's actually up for sale as a slave. Likely that in that time she's occurred debts and uh, she's unable to pay those debts. And one of the solutions to that problem was you would sell yourself as a slave, right? That's the last asset you have left. 
When Hosea hears that his wife, who has long left him and been with many other men, has um, got herself in this predicament, God comes to him and says, go, buy her back, forgive her, love her as your wife. And of course, as we're reading that story, we all think to ourselves, wow, like that is, that is a hard thing to do. That is not an easy thing. His wife who has burnt him and hurt him, humiliated him, broken his heart, he's now to go to pay the price for her freedom and forgive her. See, he, he goes to the um, auction and he pays her 15 bits of silver to buy her, but um, she is now his slave, not his wife. You know, her status in society is he owns her. He could sell her to someone else if he wanted. He could get her to do whatever sort of humiliating task that he would like her to do, he could, he could take her life if he wished it so. But God says, no, don't do that with this freedom that you've given her. Forgive her. Love her. Uh, and you have, re- you have had your wife returned. He's doing this so that Hosea might understand what it's like for him, God, who is constantly trying to win back his bride, Israel, who always wanders, who's always off with, with other gods and other ways of life and leaving him for other, other things and other people and places. And um, he pays the price to buy her back and forgive her, Israel. Um, so Hosea has done the same thing. But there's also a reality too. That what Hosea does in this is this amazing example of submitting himself to God. Like God comes and asks him to do a really hard thing, something that probably every fibre in his body didn't want to do. Right? Would have brought up all of that anger and that resentment, all of that humiliation. Imagine what his friends are saying. Like, look at Isaiah, he's buying his wife back. How pathetic. You know, like. But he submits to what God asks him to do. And down the track, if he was honest, he'd probably say it was the best thing for him to do that, wouldn't he? To let go of that anger, to let go of that pain and frustration, and in the end, to have his wife back to find again a love with his wife that he had lost. Submitting to God um, sometimes looks difficult and is hard. Uh, Submitting to his ways sometimes seems like it's not worth it, but it almost always is. It's always, almost always better for us because what God wants for us is what is good for us. You know, nothing truly good in this world is ever easy. Right, whether it's like losing weight or learning an instrument or staying fit or raising children is a good example. Um, it requires perseverance. It requires sustained focus. But along the way, there are these huge payoffs. Along the way, you just go, this was good, even though it was hard along the way. Uh, let, let, me, let me, as we head towards the end, have a look at verse 8. And this one's, a, this one's a powerful verse for me. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. I think if you talk to, you know, just about any Christian, and you say, what's something you want for your faith? What's something that you want? And if they would say, oh, I, w- I want God to be nearer to me. I want to experience God more. I want to feel the presence of God. Like, I think it's probably a safe bet that we'd all say, yeah, that's something I'd take more of. That's something I'd be, I'd be keen to experience more in my life. To have God nearer to me. But I think it's really interesting the way James describes it here in verse 8, isn't it? 
Come near to God and he will come near to you. The way he describes it is um, a movement of two parties, not just one. It's almost a promise that James is saying, is that when you move near to God, he will respond and he will move near to you. Um, This is the work of today. It's not the work of tomorrow. Draw near to God today that he might draw near to you. If it's tomorrow's job, tomorrow won't ever come. And then before you know it, there's not much time left. Today is the day to draw near to God. Often in this um, situation, we are um, too passive. We want God to be near to us, but we don't really want to do any of the drawing near. You know, it's like, why isn't God nearer to me? Why don't I feel the presence of God more as we're like, you know, scrolling through our phone or whatever it is? You know, oh, why, where is God more? You know, uh, that's not what James describes it. It's a two-way street. The way James describes it is that we draw near to him and he will draw near to us. Something that's kind of like getting your hair cut, where you just sit down and then the person cutting the hair does all the work and you get up and it's done. Well, that's not at all the way it's described here. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When we draw near to him, that is when God can do his work. When we submit to what God has called us to do in our lives, when we resist the things that we know are unhelpful in our lives. It's like, it's like if we lay this, the foundation and God says, I will build the temple, but I need you to lay that foundation first and I promise I will come and build that spiritual temple upon it. But often we want to sit back and be passive in the experience. So here's, here's the encouragement. Do the things you need to do to draw near to God today. Not tomorrow, but today. What are the things you need to do to draw near to God today? Um, I was thinking about what's some things that would be helpful. You know, this is the thing that I think is a great idea, is to go for a walk and don't take your headphones. I'm the worst. Can I just confess? I am the absolute worst. I do everything with my headphones on listening to a podcast or something, even walking between my house and church. It's not a very long walk. I still put in my headphones, right? But go for a walk, take nothing else with you, and just spend that time just talking to God. Just spend that time just thinking through life, what's going on, and just put some of that to God and spend that time just listening. That sounds like a pretty good thing to do. I don't know about you. If you can just make that space to just go on a walk of prayer with God. You know, Lauren's put down this great challenge. He's been diligently posting all of these Bible passages. Um, for those who want to pick up the challenge of reading the Bible in this year, it's not too late. We're in February, but that's okay. You can catch up. Or just whatever it is, you know, just read the New Testament if, if the whole thing seems to... Take up that challenge to be intentional about it. your Bible reading. You know, Warren sits there every day and puts up the readings for us. He's, he's, he's doing the work. We've just got to look them up and then look at the passages and read them while you're on the way to work, while you're whatever it is that you're doing. What are the things that you can do today to draw nearer to God? Because these things that we have talked about, mentioned here, are a work of today that's something that won't happen later. It's something that God is calling us to in the here and the now, not in the tomorrow, not in the future, not in the day after that. Not after we've had all of our plans met, not after we've completed all the things we wish to complete, 
but in the here and the now.